This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafuma. Mark Thompson. Get woke. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. God bless you. In the aftermath of the Tennessee legislature's expulsion of both Justin Pearson and Justin Jones, both representatives from Memphis and Nashville, Tennessee, respectively. The governor this past spring called for a special session in the Tennessee legislature on gun violence. That special session is convening this week in Nashville. Today, Representative Justin Jones took questions from reporters on how the special session is going so far. I was the only member who was silent yesterday. I was the only member who ruled out of order and had my microphone cut off when I was questioning about where in the rules can we hold the speaker accountable for abusing the rules. Um, my microphone was shut off, the only one, and today, once again, I was shut off by, by asking questions that are relevant to the legislative process. The committees that we're on, that's the place where we can represent our districts. It's not about Justin, but it's about the 72,000 people I represent who are being silenced by not having a member serve on committees like every other member equally. And so this is, again, a farce of the process. Everything is being predetermined. The bills, the committees are being stacked. I mean, this is not democracy, and it's not a real deliberative process that we should have and that we owe Tennesseans to have around such important legislation to protect kids and not guns. Thank you. What were the original committees that you So I was on Agriculture Committee, Government Operations Committee, and Education Administration Committee, and he replaced me back to Agriculture and Education Administration, but stripped me from Government Operations, which is a committee that's going to be very important because most bills come before Government Operations Committee. They go before Finance Committee and Government Operations Committee, and he stripped me from that committee because it is such an integral committee. Um, it's a committee to see about how state agencies will, will you know, apply the legislation that's passed. And it's, it's very important conversations that are had on that committee. Almost every bill goes before that committee. And that's why I was stripped from that committee, I believe. And didn't Eric Holder send the speaker a letter regarding your committee's house? The yeah, former Attorney General of the United States, Eric Holder, sent him a letter saying that um, when I was re-sworn in, that I should be re restored to the committees that I was removed from on April 3rd. Three days before I was expelled, the speaker arbitrarily removed me from my committees. I didn't give any explanation. He shut off my ID badge as well. And there was no answer given as to why my committees were stripped and how they would be restored to the full committees that I was on before as a full member of this body. Um, I won my election, my special election. Um, as and I, my, my constituents sent me back here, not as an interim member, but as a full member to represent District 52. Um, and I was hoping that the people of District 52 would have an equal voice in the legislature. Is there a possible legal challenge I think, um, you know, that's something to discuss. That's something that will be discussed is what is the, you know, because so much of what's happening here is unconstitutional. Let's be honest, like shutting down the rotunda, limiting paper signs in committees, but you can bring guns in committees, silencing members almost indefinitely if you are ruled out of order three times. I mean, this, there are so many unconstitutional things happening here. So I think a lot of it's going to be up to question. Shutting off the water fountains on people yesterday when it was blazing hot here. I mean, there's so looking at disability acts, you know, and accessibility. I mean, there's so many things that are going to be put up to challenge that we have to challenge. And I think that's going to, that's going to come. I think that Speaker Sexton is going to be held accountable um, by the courts. And I think that's what we're going to be looking into um, and that Tennesseans should look into about how do we challenge the unconstitutional abuses of this body and of this speaker particularly.
The people of my district, after being expelled, sent me back here with a clear mandate, 77% of the vote, to be a bold voice, to speak up for the children of our state who are suffering, who are going back to school terrified about mass shootings. And so whatever I have to do to speak up for the constituents, to be heard as an equal member, I represent 72,000 people. Being silenced is a dereliction of my duty as a representative. Sitting down silently is failing in my oath that I said that I would challenge and not assent to any legislation that is injurious to the people. And so no matter if the speaker silences me or not, I know the oath that I took as a representative here to uphold our state constitution to protect the rights of citizens and to, and to think about how these decisions are injurious to everyday Tennesseans who are suffering. And so um, no matter what happens, I'm going to continue to speak up because this is not about me, but it's about the voices of the people I represent in the most diverse districts, and particularly these young people who can't even vote. I was just talking to a child, Noah, who, who's here today, who's terrified to go to school, who's protesting. So he's here today. I mean, this is what it's about. It's about the children of our state, and the speaker decided to make it about challenging dissent rather than stopping the crisis of mass shootings. He's using this session to attack the voices of people from holding signs that say, you know, stop gun violence, but you can bring a gun into committee. That is immoral. And that's the questions that we need to ask the speaker and ask this majority is like, why are you, why are you making our safe so unsafe? Not just for our children, but for all t children in Tennessee. And I want the speaker to know that even though he has silenced me, that he's, that he's attacked me personally, what I'm doing is fighting for his children too. His children go to school in Nashville. I want them to be safe in school. I want them to not be um, terrorized by gun violence. And so, Speaker Sexton, I'm fighting for your children too, and I hope that you know that each of us, that when we're here, we're doing everything we can to make this Tennessee a state that these children deserve to live in and grow up in and to flourish in. This does not look like a legislature right now. We're surrounded by troopers. We're surrounded by ropes. No, no paper signs that are the size of a piece of paper. Members can't talk. There'll be silence indefinitely. This is very scary, dangerous territory. And so I hope that we continue to push the speaker and ask him, this does not look like a democracy in the United States of America anymore. I mean, this is very scary territory that we're getting into, and if we're not careful, we will lose democracy in the state. We will lose, we'll lose voices of dissent, and that will be a sad day for Tennessee. Do, when, you, do you think that his goals are to make you and, and, and uh, Representative Pearson sort of fall in line? And I, I hope you know what I mean by that. Like, you know, uh, be more like a white person, essentially. I think he wants members who go along to get along. He wants business as usual, but business as usual are the mass shootings that have happened. We've had more mass shootings than days in America. Business as usual is children doing active shooter drills rather than playing on the playground and being children. That's what business as usual is. And so he wants business as usual because this is how Cameron Sexton and the Republican supermajority maintain power. Deflection and deception. They deflect from the real issue so we don't even focus on what is the real crisis in our state. This special session is because of Covenant having a mass shooting where three nine-year-olds and three adults lost their lives. Let's not lose focus on that. This, they're gonna make it about everything else except the real issue, which is these children and these adults were, were, were murdered because of a state that has a proliferation of weapons of war on our streets, AR-15s, on our streets. We don't have to live this way. So since you said that, Jesse, can you tell us a little bit about the legislation you're most concerned with? There's some scary pieces of legislation. That yeah. Too. I mean, Ryan, don't have anything to do with what you want to get done. Ryan Williams filed a bill to arm teachers. We had teachers here during the regular session saying that this is going to make their classrooms unsafe and that no teacher wants to be armed. They already have enough on their plate to be teachers. Now we're going to make them into armed 
um, guards. Like the, we're not even paying them enough to be teachers. Now we're going to ask them to be armed. I mean, this is ridiculous. Um, the legislation that we should be focusing on that we filed that's not even being heard are things like the red flag laws, uh, universal background checks, ban on high capacity magazines, safe storage, things that 70% of Tennesseans support, Republicans, independents, and Democrats. And we can't even have those bills calendared for committee because they said that it's not within the call of the session. So the session, the proclamation that the governor issued has restricted what we can even talk about, restricted what we can even introduce. Like we should be able to introduce the common sense gun laws that the Tennesseans who are gathered here and who were here in the spring and who's called by the thousands for. That's what we should be focusing on. But instead we're focusing on priorities that are not in line with Tennesseans. They're gonna be talking about mental health. Every nation has mental health issues, but we're the nation that is continually plagued by mass shootings because it's a gun issue. And so they don't want to talk about the real crisis. I mean, Massachusetts is the same population of Tennessee, but has drastically lower amount of um, shootings, even though there's 7 million people, we have some 7 million people, because they have common sense gun laws that they instituted. This is a policy choice to have this, these constant shootings. Um, every day in Tennessee, four people die from gun violence. That is a policy choice. And until we act, it will continue. Covenant was not the first mass shooting in, in Nashville. Um, in Antioch, one of my constituents, uh, Shondell Brooks, lost her son in the Waffle House mass shooting. And unless we act, it will not be the last mass shooting. We have to act to stop this crisis, to stop this tragedy, to stop this trauma from plaguing our community. And so I call on the speaker to put partisanship aside. It's not an issue of left and right, but it is a moral issue of right and wrong. Is there any chance that the bills you mentioned can get on the calendar before they They may make clear that they're not even going to hear them today. They, they make clear that, you know, what's going to be allowed, um, and that they're not going to even hear them. They didn't even calendar them. They didn't assign them a bill number. And so the bills that, that you know, we introduced that we're trying to talk about gun safety are not even on the state website. They wouldn't even they wouldn't even hear them because they said they're they're not in the scope of the call that the governor issued. So, are you sitting on any of the committees that are meeting uh, during the special session? So, um, I was shifted from my committees on April 3rd, and I, I finally got an answer today. I was restored to agriculture committee, which has nothing to do with the special session. Um, but I was shifted to government operations committee, which is going to be relevant to the special session. Um, it is one of the um, committees that hears most bills. And I was stripped of government operations because the speaker is stacking the committee so members who will actually speak about the issue of gun violence and challenge um, the inaction um, cannot even be heard. And so this is, this again, is a continuation of the performance and farce that is, that is a special session where things are predetermined, where members are not treated um, like equal members in this body, where the voices of our constituents are being silenced. Um, and so the committee process is stacked based off of how he read off who's on what committee and who's stripped from what committee. Um, it's, it's, it's absurd what's happening. I mean, as I said, every nation has mental, mental health issues, but we're the only nation that is plagued by constant mass shootings. And so if we were serious about mental health, I, I urge my colleagues, my Republican colleagues, to expand Medicaid, to, to expand health care to 300,000 Tennesseans who they've been blocking from accessing health care, which includes mental health care. So if we're going to talk about mental health, let's expand Medicaid, something that we've been fighting for for years in this building. Um, but it, it's not really about mental health for them. Again, they're using the tactics of deflection and deception to, to, to pivot the conversation from what happened um, which is easy access to weapons of war in our community that are terrorizing everyday Tennesseans. Um, again, every day four people in Tennessee die because of gun violence. This is a policy choice um, that is being made by this body and that we can stop by policy action, um, common sense solutions that the majority of Tennesseans and majority of Americans support. What has your interactions been like with your Republican um, colleagues?
colleagues kind of outside the chamber since you've been, uh, since you've returned, having been voted back in? We haven't really seen each other that much. Um, everyone's kind of, you know, just kind of rushing to get to session. I mean, the session looks very different than, than when we were here a few months ago. You see how it's ported off. You see troopers everywhere. The tunnel is now limited, so people cannot be um, walk, you know, cannot be there. They cannot walk with lawmakers, and so um, it's it's more the same. I think you saw on the floor um, that things haven't changed in this building. That there are still extremists running this building, silencing the scent. And so um, my concern is what happens on the floor. You know, I'm not here to make friends, I'm here to make change. And that's what we're here to do. Um, and so I hope that my Republican colleagues will, they don't have to like me, but I hope that they will love the children of Tennessee enough to protect them from the terror of gun violence. That's what I hope. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Always a pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, to speak with the Secretary of Transportation. We got to know and appreciate him as Mayor Pete. We now call him Secretary Pete. Secretary Pete Buttigieg joins us on Make It Plain. Mr. Secretary, welcome back. How are you, sir? Uh, thanks. Good to be with you. I'm uh, doing well. Hope you are too. I am. I'm doing quite well. Um, we have been talking about the bipartisan infrastructure law. How is that going? What's the assessment like and, and what kind of progress have we made? We, you know, we spend most of our first year as an administration working to get that law passed. And, and you know, President Biden believed in it from day one, uh, but it wasn't until almost the end of the year that, that it actually got through and he was able to sign it. Then we spent most of our second year building all of the programs it created, dozens of programs just in this department alone, uh, to do everything from fixed bridges to uh, improve airport terminals to shoring up ferry systems. Now we're in the third year, and if the first year was the bill passing and the second year was the programs launching, this is really the money moving, and increasingly we're starting to see the dirt flying. Uh, this year and next year, we are going to see more and more projects enter into the construction phase. And what excites me about that is not just the, the finished product that we all look forward to, whether it's a reconstructed bridge or a, a new train service, uh, but along the way, the jobs that it is creating. And uh, this includes jobs in a lot of communities that have been neglected in the past, but are getting funding. We've got 37,000 projects under this infrastructure law, uh, administration-wide, that have been identified for funding, and we're not even halfway through. The other thing that's important too, that inevitably creates jobs, doesn't it? Exactly. And uh, and these are good paying jobs, you know, these yeah. construction jobs, uh, trades jobs. And, uh, you know, unlike when there's just one project coming into your community, we've got a real pipeline going, which means people can confidently know that if they choose to 
participate in an apprenticeship program or take up a career uh, in these fields. And and I'm not just talking about uh, things that require a college degree, but a lot of right. jobs, skilled jobs uh, that that uh, are going to require training, but but not necessarily four years at a university. You know that there's going to be work, not just this year, next year, but for many years to come. So we're really excited about the job creation potential. We think it's one of the reasons why unemployment is so low right now. You know, yeah. it's very, very rare to have unemployment and inflation both below 4% at the same time. And that didn't just happen on its own. That's part of what we mean when we're talking about Bidenomics, is making the public investments to create the kinds of jobs in the public and private sector. They're going to keep our economy moving forward. Yeah, no, that's important. I was at the NAACP convention last month, and there was a whole conversation about um, opening up the, the building and trades apprenticeships to young African-Americans and other young people of color to get into this pipeline, because that's important to get to some of these jobs. Absolutely. This is a, a great ladder into the middle class. It's a great way to earn a good living. And look, historically, it has not always been the case that uh, uh, these building trades uh, jobs have, have been open to uh, to workers of color, at least not as frequently. Uh, and, and there's been a sense that, you know, unless your dad and your dad's dad right. uh, was in this line of work, you didn't have a shot at it. That's changing. And we're really working to highlight uh, the, the locals and, and the organizations that are doing a good job of being more inclusive, also bringing more women into the workforce and solving some of the issues that have kept uh, many workers out. I'll give you an example. I was in Pittsburgh with the first lady recently. Mm -hmm. We were highlighting one of the workforce hubs that the administration set up there. They've actually set up childcare on the work site at the airport where they're building out a new terminal there because they know that if childcare is available on site, more working parents are going to be able to participate in those good paying jobs that right. just wouldn't be open to them uh, because they didn't have a childcare solution. So yeah. we're working hard to make sure this happens. We, we never want it to be the case that uh, somebody, and, and we've heard this too often from people often in, in, in black and brown neighborhoods, they see a project finally come to the neighborhood, but nobody working on it looks like they grew up in the neighborhood. Right. We're shifting that with local hire provisions. We're working with the building trades to, to open more of those doors. And I think the results are going to benefit everybody. No, that is, that's very important. Child care on the job. That's, that's amazing. Congratulations on that. Very big deal. You've appointed members to the advisory committee on transportation equity. Tell us about that committee, please. That's right. So we know that equity is an important part of every decision in public policy. That's certainly true about transportation. We want to make sure we get this right, especially with the historic levels of funding that are going out right now. So uh, I've asked a number of men and women from around the country uh, to form a, a diverse group. They're going to be led by Anthony Fox, who uh, used to be Secretary of Transportation, like me, uh, a former mayor. Uh, he was the mayor of Charlotte. And during his time serving under President Obama, was really uh, somebody who paved the way for a lot of the work we're doing now, pointing to the issues around uh, how highways were built and, and what it's going to take to have more equitable transportation in the future. Uh, so I think with his leadership and with the, uh, the, the distinguished members we're assembling, they're going to be able to bring and elevate voices that need to be heard. They're going to give insight that, that we really need in order to make good decisions. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, I uh, always uh, am careful and selective about when to launch a new process like this and, and create a committee uh, or, or a task force. We don't do it lightly because we don't want just dozens of groups uh, uh, kind of out there. We want there to be very mission-driven, uh, high-speed uh, uh, advisory groups that are helping inform big, big decisions. And that's exactly what this advisory committee on transportation equity is going to do. Um, I 
infer too, because you and I have talked about this before and you talk with many others about this, dealing with communities that have been impacted by transportation decisions in the past, highway splitting communities. As a matter of fact, I, I happen to be in Nashville today mm -hmm. with the two Justins uh, around this Tennessee legislative session on, on guns. Mm -hmm. Nashville um, is one of those cities that was divided by the highway, the black community divided by the highway. So when we talk about transportation equity, is, is this committee also going to think about and talk about ways to fix some of those past injustices? Absolutely. And again, this is one reason why I'm excited to be teaming up with Secretary Forrest, Secretary Fox, because he spoke very eloquently about how this affected him personally and was uh, a part of, of the built environment in Charlotte. We see this everywhere we go. Uh, but what was not available when Secretary Fox was in this seat is the billions of dollars of funding that we now have uh, to address these issues in a way that's going to connect communities back together and lift them up. Right now, we're supporting projects like one in Detroit that's taking a, a section of I-375 that uh, really just ripped through neighborhoods, uh, Paradise Valley and Black Bottom neighborhoods. We're going to lift up that depressed highway that's like a gash in the community, and we're going to elevate it to street surface level, and it's going to be a boulevard, still move cars through effectively, but in a way that helps not hurts the neighborhood. In Buffalo, we're teaming up with the state of New York to take the Kensington Expressway, which community members there have been trying to do something about for decades. And we're going to put a cap over it, which is going to introduce new land into the heart of the city. And it's going to connect neighborhoods that were severed uh, and, and made harder to get to uh, by the, the way that highway was originally constructed. From St. Paul, Minnesota to, uh, uh, to Pittsburgh, it's, this is not just the South. Uh, this is every part of the country has had some version of this. And when we talk about this and lean into it, it's not about making people feel bad. It's not about wallowing in some of the problems of the past. It's about fixing it. When you break something, you ought to put it right. And, you know, federal dollars went into creating some of these problems. Now federal dollars are going to go into helping to fix it. Uh, but we can't make good decisions about that without a lot of insight, input, ideas and, and concerns coming from communities and coming from a diverse sounding board. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think this advisory committee will play an important role in helping us make wise decisions with these uh, uh, really generous but still limited dollars. And of course, the members of the committee also reflect diversity and come from different regions around the country, correct? That's right. We got folks from, from different parts of the country, different uh, professional backgrounds, you know, even, even different uh, uh, ideological backgrounds. It's not all people who are going to agree with me or agree with each other on everything. That's the point. That's what real dialogue is. Uh, and so with, with this mix of, of expertise, uh, I think we're going to make better decisions than, than, than we could have otherwise. We've got folks from the private sector. We've got folks from the public sector. Mm -hmm. uh, we've, got, uh, we've got participation really from, from a, a, a broad range of, uh, of experts. And you know, too often in the past, big transportation decisions were made without enough input. Uh, or with input that only came from one side of the house. And when you do that, uh, mis you know, serious mistakes and serious harms can happen. We're not going to do that this time. And we know that this is a once-in-a-lifetime investment. We may never see this level of funding again in our lifetimes. Uh, after Democrats and, and, and some Republicans came together and said, all right, uh, it's been 40, 50 years, let's do this right. Uh, we're doing it now. I want to make sure we get it right. This uh, one and only chance that, uh, that we have, at least on my watch, uh, to put these dollars to use in ways that will benefit everybody. And the other thing I think is so important to say here is that when you correct some of these harms, when you address 
uh, the transportation deserts that have arisen in some communities or the experience that many neighborhoods, including uh, a lot of black and, and brown neighborhoods, are being cut off. When you address that, everybody's going to be better off. Certainly the people who are, who are harmed most directly, but also a whole, nobody's hurt when, when you stitch a community back together that was divided in the past. Uh, it, when we empower those who were disempowered in the past, uh, I think it's going to lift the whole country up. Certainly. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Secretary Pete Buttigieg, Secretary of Transportation, talking about the bipartisan infrastructure law. And if you, for most of you listening, it is probably already beginning to have an impact where you live. Very important. I, I think, Mr. Secretary, this is... Is this the biggest thing that the government, the federal government has done since doing the highways, <laughs> since Eisenhower? I, this is a pretty big deal. Certainly, as far as infrastructure is yeah. concerned, that's right. I mean, this is the most we've done for public transit ever in federal history. It's the most we've done on roads and bridges since the Eisenhower years. It's the most we've done for passenger rails since they set up Amtrak in the first place 50 years ago. Uh, so these really are historic funds. But we know that just because you got the dollars through Congress, and that's just the beginning. Now we got to actually put those dollars to work, turn them into good paying jobs and turn them into good infrastructure that's going to help people get to school and to church and to the store and wherever they need to be. It's going to connect people more safely. It's going to mean that when you walk across the street, you're walking across a safer street that you're less likely to be in a collision. Uh, we're we're going to make sure that that transportation is cleaner and that neighborhoods, especially neighborhoods close to highways or close to ports, uh, that those kids are breathing cleaner air than they would have a generation ago or than they are today. These are the kinds of things we have a chance to do right now. And it is why it's, it's such an exciting, historic time to be working in transportation. It is. It obviously it is. Thank you, Mr. Secretary, for joining us on Make It Plain. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.